Welcome to Smith Weekly Discussions, an occasional program for our members of Smith Weekly Research. Please note this program is a private discussion and everything contained herein is for entertainment and educational purposes only. With that, we hope you're in a comfortable position, along with your favorite beverage, to enjoy the discussion. We remind our audience to examine our show notes attached to each of our shows to better understand how our program functions. Before we get into our discussion today, we want to say thanks for questions coming from our audience at Smith Weekly, including Sean M., Cindy W., Craig S., Jackie A., and Andy J. On the program today is a new guest of a returning company. Mr. Tony McCooch is with us. Tony is the Chief Executive Officer and Director at Discovery Silver. The company is advancing the large-scale Cordero Silver Zinc Lead Project in Chihuahua State, North Central Mexico. Discovery Silver is listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange under the symbol DSV and also on the US OTC markets under the symbol DSVSF. Tony, it's a pleasure to speak to you for the first time. Welcome. Yeah, well, thank you, Andrew. It's nice to, nice to get to talk to you and nice to be able to get the opportunity to uh, share some of my thought on Discovery and what, what we're at and where we see this very exciting project going. Thank you, Tony. It's a pleasure. It's great to connect with you. And, you know, Tony, I'm, I suspect a good amount of our audience actually is familiar with your work, but given you are a new guest, typically we'd like to ask you, you know, give us a little bit on your resume and your experience in the natural resource sector. So originally I come from a town, Timmins, Ontario. I come from a mining family. My father worked in the mines for in excess of almost 35 years. Same as my wife's side. My wife's father worked for about 42 years on, on, on underground mines. So definitely we come from a mining history, a mining family. Um, in terms of myself, I mean, my, my education background, I mean, I took originally civil engineering and, and earth science or geology. I uh, do have a mining engineering degree. I've worked at a, a number of mines. I've pretty much done almost every job that you can do in, in a mine from a, from a laborer, from working at various jobs in, in, in the underground mine and in the mill processing plant to going into the engineering side. And I, you know, I worked in, in engineering, long range planning, short range planning, in, in ground control, rock mechanic, and, and a lot of things into, in, from a mining point of view. Then I got into, into supervision and then into into mine management and then managed a few mines. And if you look at my most recent career, uh, you know, I worked uh, with uh, building mines out of uh, out of Sudbury, Ontario with FNX Mining. We started off with uh, some exploration projects and advanced that to from exploration projects to production operations. I was chief operating officer. And then from there, I transitioned over to a company. I started, it was an exploration company looking for gold in the Timmins in the Abitibi region of Timmins, Ontario. Uh, that was uh, Lakeshore Gold in 2008, and we went from uh, from a, being an exploration company to producing in, in excess of 180,000 ounces a year, and sold to Tahoe Resources in, uh, in you know in, in 2016 for about 1.1 billion dollars, and then from there went and started uh, with Kirk and Lake Gold, and uh, you know in Kirk and Lake we had some significant success, grew production from our operations in Kirk and Lake to uh, you know three main mining centers between. Uh, you know, in Kirk and Lake, Detour Lake, and then and then in Australia, producing in excess of 1.4 uh, million ounce of gold a year, and, and eventually merged with uh, uh, with uh, Agnico Eagle, and uh, you know, with over 10 billion dollar merger with with Agnico Eagle to form uh, you know again one of the champion Canadian gold companies, and, and since then I've been uh, you know got involved in a few boards, and and you know as this opportunity came up with uh, with Discovery Silver and. You know, to, to spend some time reviewing the project, looking at what's going on here, and they recognize that you know this is a this is a really unique project. Uh, probably, uh, it's one of the largest undeveloped silver deposits and by reserves globally. It's in a really really good location, really good people, and you know lots of value can be created. And you know, I think uh, you know from my perspective, and again coming as as a child coming into the mining industry, and I know. A lot of times, the connotation or the or the, the the perception of mining as being, uh, you know, uh, all the negative perception you see out there on the mining industry. I see, I've seen it from all the positive. I see that there, we do a lot of actually great things. That we are actually the good guys, not the not the bad guys, right? And and we, you know, we create a lot of value. Done, done a lot of positive things for different regions where where I've worked. Whether it's been Winnemucca, Nevada, down in Australia, and Sudbury, Timmins. You know, and I, I see that we create new value and new prosperity for people from 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 pretty much nothing, right? And and I see this as being really, you know, a lot of value can be added, a lot, lot, lot of 
a lot of generational and be building a generational mine here in Cordero in Mexico being something that can you know be very good for it for for that for that local economy for the people for this and but for all stakeholders and for shareholders and that's what really drives me in terms of uh, what I like to do in terms of this industry. Thank you, Tony. Yeah, lots of experience here and uh, a lot of success on your side. And yeah, you and your team have been able to do a lot of things here. And the backbone of everything in modern life is mining. It's so critical to everything that we have in, in modern life and developing countries, uh, economics. There's so many pieces of uh, employment, so many things that this industry provides that I think people really uh, forget about or many people do in in certain regions of the world that are maybe advanced economies tend to forget what got them there and mining without a doubt is a very critical activity that we must have tony so after all of your success here you know obviously with kirkland lake being the most recent success uh, you could easily exit the sector two things what keeps you around in this business and why did Discovery Silver check the boxes for you to become CEO and bring along your team? That's a good point. I mean, you, you know, yeah. I guess the, the the main thing is again, if I go, what what really keeps me interested and why I like to work in this business is, again, you know, you, you like to get involved. You get involved with people. You get involved with people and and, and a variety of of different levels of people. Building minds, I see, is, is a lot of fun. I mean, I've been involved. I've been lucky to have been involved in, in building either expansion of mines or, or building of mines from uh, numerous mines from scratch in, in different areas. And you see the, the benefit that brings to the communities and the people and, and all the other stakeholders. So it's always something that, that drives you. And, you know, I guess it gets into, into your blood. You see a here about the deposit. You like to like to. Be, see how it's going to get mined and, and brought brought forward. In terms of discovery, I mean, what I've seen with discovery is you got about a 1.1, 1.2 billion ounce equivalent silver deposit, and, and and that's only above 450, 500 meters from surface. And it's in terms of the property package and in terms of the area, it's it's just a small small part of what potentially could be there. But it's it's it is a very large scale deposit, and then. Uh, when when you when you when you go through the you know we did there was a PEA done and we just completed a PFS you see well geez, you're going to be building one of the largest uh, silver mines globally I mean with uh, you know 18 year 18 years of we're only mining out less than 50 percent of the current resource you're there for 18 years producing an average of 36 million ounces of silver equivalent right uh, and and as a as a as a as an operation it would be the the top three silver mines in in all of Mexico, and definitely top top you know within the top ten globally, but also uh, you know within the top two or three uh, zinc mines in in Mexico, and you know it, so it produces a lot. Of, it would produce a lot of lot of, between silver, lead, and zinc. It's producing a lot, a lot of the materials that that we need going forward. So and and you know the the operation when you when you went through and you looked at where it, where it's located, uh, the the environmental footprint. Uh, the metallurgy, the uh, you know the, the the impact that the, the positive and negative positive and, and negative I suppose impacts that you, that this uh, this operation would would have. I mean it, or or let me just say that the positive impacts definitely way outweigh any negative that might happen from from having to develop this mine in terms of the, what it's going to produce. And and it's a very clean operation, no acid generating potential. You know, very efficient in terms of water use, very efficient in terms of land use, in terms of the region and what you, what you can bring back from it in terms of the value. So I've seen a lot of good things, but the other part is a lot of good people and, you know, good people within the company. And when you go down to that region in Mexico, you see a lot of good, hardworking people, uh, you know, you know, lots, lots of talent. And then you sit there and say, geez, you know, we can we can develop something here and create a create a legacy and create something and prosperity for, for others. And it's definitely a mind that, you know, like you say, the, the current P, PFS demonstrated 18-year mine life, but uh, you know, it, it only it only uh, accesses less than uh, less than half of the of the current resource, and we haven't really done any further exploration. This this is an operation that could probably be here for definitely for for much longer, but by double or triple that length of time, producing in in this region. So create a lot of prosperity and you know, multi-generational operation for people. And, and value, and, and that's what I really like about our industry. And I think those are the things that we create, create a lot of value, you know, and, and new value into the industry, into the economy from nothing. Right? Tony, it's absolutely a monster, and it definitely can get a lot more life than what we're looking at in the current economic studies, as you know. Well, it's a monster. That's what it is. 
very interested in, in getting into some of the details on that. But first, before we move into discovery specific here and talk about Cordero and some of the specifics, the silver market. This one has been a rough one from a investor perspective over the last, uh, for a number of years, really, with small booms and busts along the way in the short term. But uh, really going back to 2011 or so, Tony, from the high, I'd like to get your view on the silver market. Obviously, there's things like industrial demand that, that we know has grown and replaced other demand that has fallen off. And then also silver has a money element to it as well. But uh, I'd like to hear from you, you know, as you look at the landscape of supply, demand, the challenges bringing on new mines and the issues just on the bottleneck and constraints on regulation and environmental concerns about bringing on and permitting these mines. You know, talk about the silver price, the market, and what we could expect to see going forward here. Oh, yeah, well, good point. I mean, you know, and, and you talked to a lot of silver bulls and we, we have, uh, you know, I mean, there's, uh, we have some shareholders that are pretty much uh, see silver and being, being silver bulls and seeing silver as is, is, is a lot of legs to it and a lot of, a lot of fundamentals why silver price should be increasing over the next few years. But, you know, you have to look if you I mean, if you do, you talk about back, going back to 2010 or 2011, I mean, really mine production has been pretty flat, uh, you know, somewhere around 800 million ounces a year. And and there's really no new big big new production coming on. You got a lot of lot of the silver mines, and this is one thing when you talk to people, a lot of the, the, and investors in the industry, there's a lot of silver mines, but none of them, you know, a lot of them are you know three to five to six million ounces of silver a year. A lot of small silver, to high grade silver deposits that are mined. They're marginal in terms of how much money they make, and you know there there's all the M's and volatility that you have with these type of operations. And, and so there's been no real big, you know, if, if you look globally, and, and, and this is the thing about, except for Cordero, there's not really any big new mine supply coming to come online. So mine supply has been fairly flat for the last 10 years. Whereas, and, you know, and then definitely on the demand side, you know, as, as we, as a, as the transition, say on the photography back in, you know, say, say back in 2000 and 2000 and early 2000s, photography probably represented somewhere in the, in the order of, of say 200 million ounces of silver a year, or 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 25% of mine supply, right? Uh, whereas today it probably represents somewhere around, you know, 10% or even less than that, 5% of mine supply. But what you what you've seen is you've seen the rising demand from solar and auto. You always have the investment demand, as, as you mentioned, in, in, in uh, on uh, on the silver price. And you know that's tied to the volatility of gold, etc. You know, so you, you know when when you look at no no new production, you look at rising demand, and 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 what's really happened over the last uh, 10, 20 years, you've had rising demand from the in, in industrial and, and and solar sector, industrial sector with solar and auto, decreasing demand in, in other areas such as photography. We're almost at the point where the you know you've taken the where silver uses in photography would say about 200 million ounces a year down to say maybe it's at its point we had about about 30 million ounces a year. You know, you're almost at the point where that that headwind of lower demand for for silver from from that part, that component of the industry is is pretty much at it at its low. It can drop a little bit lower, but you know, there's not much demand to go. Whereas within the silver and the auto sector, say back in 2013, it represented six percent silver supply. To in 2023, it's almost it's over 20 percent of silver supply. So so you know, it's tripled over the last last 10 years. And, you know, there's nothing to say, especially with, with what you see, the emerging economy emerging, you know, going more and more to uh, renewable energy sources, as well as electrification of on, on the auto industry. You could see the demand, you know, doubling or tripling over the next 10 and 20 years. Uh, similar to that, you know, the, you know, in terms of use of silver and in solar panels and all that, all the thrifting, you know, a lot of that stuff has happened and, and, and used up over the last few years. So. You know, you, you kind of look at it, you say that, that the next the next 10 years could be actually a, a, a big, a big, a big, uh, you know, a lot, lot of lot of maybe a tailwind into into the silver market because you're going to see you still got flat supply and you're going to see significant rising demand now because you've offset the, the needs of, of silver, say, in photography now with with solar, with industrial sector. And you can see that growing caveat here is, you know, again, when you talk about 50 percent of the demand for silver is in the investment community it's it's where the you know what happens in the investment community and how that progresses and you know how it's tied to the to the gold market etc but 
one thing that I think is important to look at when you do look at silver and, you know, I go back again to say, you know, early 2000, silver was like four, four dollars, four fifty an ounce. So silver sitting now, you know, somewhere around twenty five dollars an ounce. As silver grows, I mean, you get higher and higher lows when every time it does a pullback. You know, you, you, you know, so, so you, you see silver is, has been progressing in terms of, of, of price appreciation over the next few years. There's fundamentals in the market that, that'll demonstrate that, you know, demand should go up and supply is not really increasing significantly, right? And so, uh, you know, I look in the, in the long term as, 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 as silver being a, being a commodity that, you know, that people are going to need, uh, the, 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 the world's going to need more and more of this. You know, I'm not necessarily, uh, you know, I talk to some people and there's people that talk about $100 silver. And if we look at our project and we look at what we're building at Cordero, you know, it's a very, very good project. It, it, it provides significant re- returns at, at $22 silver. And, you know, so, so any, any growth in commodity price over time, just from that is going to have significant benefits to this project and to, to what we're building at Discovery Silver. I guess the bonus here would be just that it works really well in current market conditions for zinc and silver and also lead. The fundamentals are such that it's definitely conducive to moving higher pricing on the silver market. I think that is certainly coming to how high where that goes. Nobody really knows, but definitely I think the conditions are such that it does move higher. And then of course, uh, you know, uh, silver. Say, uh, you know, maybe I, I, I date myself, but I mean, I've been through so many cycles in whether it's in gold and nickel or, or copper or silver, all the, all the metals I mean there's always volatility. There's always, there's always, you know, there's, there's times when prices go, go high and there's type times when the prices pull back. But, you know, if, if you look at the space, everything is, is at higher and higher lows as, as we go forward. And, you know, you kind of, you kind of, you know, you have to design your business around, to me, I, you have to design your business model for uh, around where, where you think the lows are going to be. Right. The new lows are not to where, where, where you hope the highs go to. So if we define our business models around where, where the lows are, we've got a good chance of, of, of being successful and providing proper returns and, 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 and generating a, a project that'll, that'll last. At the same time, if, if the prices go up, then, then it's going to be, you know, it's going to create a lot of wealth and a lot of value for people and shareholders and, and put a lot back into in, with stakeholders and the communities and where, of where we, where we build our minds. And then, you know, the biggest thing with, with Cordero and, and, and this project is, is I, I mentioned earlier about, you know, we really only access about half or less than half of the, of the current resource. Well, so you think about the optionality you have, if we get prices down, if we, we get a cost down over time and or you have higher metal prices into the future, there's a significant optionality on this project in terms of, of new value you're going to bring forward to the table. Yeah, even modest pricing, 35 an ounce silver, the leverage on this is quite impressive and then just the sheer scale that can be had. Plus, Fairwind, a good a team that actually has the ability to go beyond developing economic studies and an office basis, if you will, but actually getting on the ground and actually having the ability to turn on an operation is a whole nother set of expertise that as you and I both know is lacking in the junior sector for sure. Why don't we talk more on discovery here and, and get into a few other details, but why don't we kick off here with uh, just giving us a snapshot, Tony, if you will, of the current capital structure, including the shares issued and outstanding the cash on hand at the company uh, post-financing here, and then also the ownership of the equity. So, yeah, we just completed a financing. So we sit with about uh, 395 million shares that are currently outstanding. I think fully diluted, we're around 420 million shares. So that current share price gives about a, you know, a $500 million um, Canadian market cap. In terms of uh, share ownership, the management insider is somewhere between 5 and 10%. Uh, it depends on the reason why that little bit of range is there is where we have some of the insiders with some of the original founders is whether we want to continue to continue them as, as insiders as we go forward, but uh, our management, but uh, yeah, so, so five, 10% management insiders, uh, Eric Sprott, who's uh, our biggest shareholder, so, so just under 25%. We have uh, one of our main institutional shareholders in, in Europe is Jupiter with just over 10%. Uh, we have other institutions with about 30% uh, shares outstanding and a retail side with about 35% following. In terms of uh, balance sheet, uh, you know, we, we, again, we completed a recent financing, so it gives us somewhere where we sit with about 80, $85 million currently. 
and on a balance sheet. So we've, you know, we see ourselves being fully financed now to 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 advance uh, the Cordero project over the next 12 months. Complete feasibility study, and as part of completing the feasibility study, you know, uh, de-risk the project in terms of. Uh, you know, uh, surface rights of land ownership in the region, securing water rights and securing power, et cetera, that, uh, you know, well financed. We, we see to be able to bring that all to the table and present to the shareholders a feasibility study sometime towards the end of this year, early in 2024. And, you know, I, uh, you, you mentioned a question and in terms of people and junior companies, et cetera, I guess maybe I'll just make a comment. I, I know uh, we, we talk about we're completing a feasibility study, but we're not completing a feasibility study uh, as a study. Really, we're, we're working now towards building a mine. And as part of uh, building the mine, we're creating a, a feasibility report, a feasibility study that will outline, you know, that that, that basically demonstrates the de-risking of the project, uh, demonstrates how, how we expect to carry out the project, uh, how we how what what the capital cost assessment is going to be to build what the production is how we're going to operate it and you know so so it's being designed not as a not as a feasibility study that gets done and put in a book and gets put on the shelf actually as an executable plan that we want to look towards going to the next phase uh, with talk to shareholders and stakeholders in 2024 to finance this to build this uh, project yeah this is an exercise that's really required in terms of bankable, going to the banks, talking to institutions, talking to debt parties, et cetera. Obviously, they're going to probably want to see this, but um, it backstops, you know, your guys' ability. And so I think it's a very good, uh, a necessary process, if you will. Although, you know, maybe sometimes you and I don't necessarily like to go through it, but uh, nonetheless, it, it should probably get done. <laughs> well, but, but, uh, but the- it is going to spend. You are going to spend. You know, invest money, and you're going to invest in 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 an area. You do want to have a good plan, and it puts together a plan and outlines. You know, put puts us together and outlines what we're going to do and how we're going to carry it out, and you know how much money we're going to spend and, and invest wisely into building a project that that'll be very successful, right? So, you know, in right. the end, you know, planning is always extremely important to, to achieving success, right? I remember one thing when I was young, uh, one thing I read and, you know, uh, there was a quote from Muhammad Ali. He said, you know, nobody sees all, all the hard work and, and the gym, et cetera. Uh, only, everybody only sees me when I'm dancing under the lights, but nobody sees all the other stuff that goes on before I get there, he says. Right. And yep. that's sort of part of what we got to do. There's a lot of work we got to do before we, we, we get the chance to dance under the lights. Yes. No, that's a good analogy. Absolutely. So you mentioned people. As you join the company here, which I suspect Eric uh, Sprott had quite a uh, influence on talking you into coming over here, Tony, but also you brought some people along with you as part of your team. Just briefly talk about some of the key people at the company and how they supplement your leadership. In terms of the people and, and the company, I mean, uh, you know, I think there's some very unique skills. I mean, we have uh, brought, brought on uh, uh, Tony Esplin. Uh, Tony is the uh, chief operating officer. Tony actually has a Significant amount of experience working for Newmont, a lot of large-scale uh, open pit operations globally, uh, both in La- in Latin America as well as in Australia, and brings a lot of that to the table. Large projects. Uh, we have a, a pretty good team in terms of uh, building from a you know capital cost estimate point of view, and, and building the owners team that you can execute the, from a the plan. Whether it's uh, some people with a lot of talent and 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 background in uh, in mineral processing to, to to managing capital capital programs, I think there's a there's a pretty strong team, a really good finance team within the company. Uh, we strengthen strengthen that as we go forward with uh, you know uh, with with people that can manage manage the project and man, manage the financials well. Right. Uh, we have some brought in some engineering staff. You know, we're working. We got a very good strong exploration and geology crew on site. So, and then down in Mexico, I actually we we've been really adding to our team in Mexico and bringing some new people on. And and really, uh, you know, the focus, uh, you know, what I see and and the success of that that to, to develop this project uh, and the things that I've learned over the years is that we you know we more and more we want to build. We want to build our, our our team and our and our capabilities in the region and where the, where the mine is down in Chihuahua and in, in Cordero and out of Peral. It is actually a, a very mining friendly area. It's one. It's an area that mining go history since well well been the 1800s. It was a silver region. It has a mining school within the town of Peral. So 
you know, I think as we as we continue to grow now and can work work towards feasibility and, and coming up with an executable plan to build this project, we want to really, you know, create a, a centricity of our operations and all of our work to be down in in Chihuahua to to build this, right? So. That's what we've been working on towards really trying to add to the to team of people in Mexico, whether engineers, geologists, uh, administrative staff, technical, you know, support staff in, in a number of different areas. So the feasibility study is coming potentially early next year, maybe late this year. Talk just briefly about the existing PFS that came out earlier this year. And then with that, talk about the areas that you think could be improved in the feasibility study as part of covering off the economics and the, just the overall production profile of Cordero. Yeah, so the updated, uh, pre, so the bridge of PEA had a 16-year mine life, two-stage uh, expansion uh, from 20,000 tons a day to 40,000 tons a day. Going into the PFS, we increased our, our productivity by 25% from 25,000 tons a day and going to 50,000 tons a day in phase two. Uh, the uniqueness of, of, of Cordero uh, is is besides the fact that you know I mentioned here we mine out 50% of the res- the current resource and that 50% of the current resources that we now is part of our reserve our mine plan is enclosed within the, within this 1.1 billion ounce uh, resource that's there even within the current mine plan there's actually a higher grade portion and so a phase one is is to access that high, higher grade portion for the first four or five years that's our phase one uh, of of the project. We see that at a capital cost that's somewhere around 450 million, and then we execute and we get that up to 25,000 tons a day, and then we we, we continue to, to to build the project while now we execute, we grow production to over 50,000 tons per day by by year five, and 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 that's what really then drives this you know with the average production over the life of the project now somewhere around. 32 30 to 34 million ounces of silver equivalent. It actually, as you progress in, in years 10 uh, on, you're producing over 40 million ounces of silver equivalent from, from this deposit. You have uh, one of the uh, largest undeveloped silver deposits currently by reserves over 265 million ounces of silver. Uh, you're going to produce uh, 45 to 50% of the value of, of, of production is coming from silver, about 35% from zinc, and about the remainder from lead production from this operation. Mentioned a capital cost estimate, 450 million. Current, uh, the, the NPV of that 5% using $22 silver is about one point, almost just under $1.2 billion. But what's unique about this project, and, and this is where I've had, you know, a lot of people say to me, say, well, if people don't believe the capital cost estimate, it seems too low. Uh, and, and when you compare it to, to other, other uh, similar projects going around around the world, uh, whether it gold projects or etc., the capital cost, it does, it, it does seem low. But actually, the capital cost here is, is actually probably closer to 900 million dollars but again the uniqueness of, of of cordero is we can develop the project do the phase one that's the initial capital needed to, to 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 get the project started and then the project itself now can finance itself in phase two and 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 build out to uh, to 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 the to the ultimate production rate of that we currently have in a pfs of about fifty thousand tons per day when you talk about uh, where, where we see improvements of uh, uh, coming forward i mean you know, we think that there's still some upside. Uh, you know, it's it's a very a very coarse grind, and the metallurgy is are very good. And it's a some of the things we're we're looking at doing and in, going into fe- to the feasibility studies. We see we think there's another 10 to 20 percent improvement in productivity we can bring forward on this. So 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 go from 25,000 potentially up to 30 35,000 tons per day, and then from uh, 50 potentially to 60 to 70,000 tons per day in terms of productivity. The productivity of the mine is isn't the critical path. It's the productivity of the processing plant. Definitely, we gotta you know we gotta work on on the other part of the infrastructure on site. You know, we're working towards uh, being more efficient with water water use. We already were looking at high density tailings. We think that there's there's significant room for for improvements in in, in either the deposition of our tailings through high density and and the benefits that it has in terms of tailing stability, et cetera, and water management to even potentially going to dry stack tailings. We're trying to work out work out what is the best alternative there. So we see some opportunity there. See opportunity in, in productivity again, opportunity in in operating costs and, and operating efficiency through the things like I say like an uh, environmental impact through uh, you know tailings deposition strategy. Um, we think that there's there's room to work on terms of the the mine design itself. Uh, we want to bring into into this now. We want to use, look at, look at some 
you know, uh, opportunity for increasing bench heights or more automation and digitization of our operating plant in terms of how we're going to how we're going to mine this ore body. I look at different truck selection, look at potential to trolley assist or or electrification and digitization in a lot of different areas that we think can, can bring a lot of improvements to to the project. And then, you know, when I mentioned to you about uh, phase one to phase two, and if we increase productivity in phase one, we may even become even more capital efficient going from phase one to phase two, just because of the higher productivity. So, you know, it's a project that uh, we, you know, that, you know, I talk about the currently, or I mentioned that the current NPV of the project was about one point, just just under one point two uh, billion dollars. But actually, when when you once we completed the phase two of this project, the actual NPV or the value of the project goes up to closer to two billion dollars. So a lot of growth that's come from this project, and I think there's a lot of lot of new benefit. And in terms of timing of the uh, of the feasibility study, you know, we we talk about you know end end of 2023, early 2024, we're going to be pushed for pushing for end of 2023, mainly because, you know, as, as a junior company, I mean, this is, this is our main value added that we have. Uh, I think we're going to, we, you know, we, we, we need to demonstrate to the, to the, to the market and get this, this work done. We're not just here to sit on and, and, and complete a, uh, an engineering study and then, and then go back and talk about what are the next steps. Right. And then, uh, you know, I think, uh, you know, I've also, you know, one thing I, I, I should have alluded to when, when I mentioned when we went from the PEA to the PFS, we increased productivity 25%. We went from a 16-year we went from a 16-year mine life to an 18-year mine life, and so so what we what we never said was that we actually increased the size of the resource by almost 30% in from 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 what was done in the PEA going to the PFS. So there's been actually some significant exploration success uh, on on this project, and that's at the by the way that's not at lower grades. That's at that continued on that same average grade of of, of operation and and so going forward and i think one of the other really unique things about this is it's it's a large resource large deposit uh, uh, you know definitely a, a giant of a deposit on a near, near surface in, in cordero but you know we haven't really done much drilling below the deposits outside the deposit looking for extensions looking for uh, you know following up on, on, on all of the other targets in the project area you know in terms of value drivers as we continue to advance and de-risk the, 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 from the pre-fees to, to the feasibility study, you look at our current market cap and where we're trading uh, compared to value, you see we, 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 there should be continued valuation improvement on the share price for discovery shareholders. But then on, on top of that, as we you know, make further improvements in, in terms of the valuation of, of the project, uh, through through some some improvements we see from the feasibility study, as well as tie in some exploration success, etc. And I think this is a very valuable, you know, a, a very valuable company that's not necessarily been recognized in the market at this point in time. Tony fully agreed with that. The sensitivity to higher prices and all the numbers you were talking about under phase one, phase two, the expansion scenario, uh, was all in lower twenty dollar silver price uh, as the primary put to the mine, aside from the uh, the zinc and the uh, lead. But yeah, the leverage here is quite impressive, the exploration potential. And then also just another little adder, I think the company has been able to further de-risk with a team that has been able to build these types of projects in the past. So I think that's another key piece here. And you know, it's it's probably the best silver choice in the market, um, short of you know little tiny juniors that haven't discovered something yet. Talk about for a moment the uh, project finance package. I expect that that will, well, discussion is probably already taking place, but it'll really kick off after the feasibility comes out. Talk about that and what you would expect to see, Tony, on the financing package in terms of bank debt, maybe bonds, equity financing, proportions of that, uh, what vehicles are you going to use? Yeah, sure. Uh, in terms of, you know, you make the question of we already started on that. I think uh, that's something that's real critical. You know, I think as we as I mentioned, we're building a feasibility, we're completing a feasibility study, but we want it to be an executable feasibility study. So the financing part of it is is something that we're, we're working on uh, as we speak and, and we're including in it uh, discussions with 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 where various financial institutions are looking at a, a, a number of options of how we're going to finance this is is, is key what we're, we're, we're working on. As, as we complete the feasibility study. I mean, there's a lot of alternatives, uh, you know, a combination of debt and equity uh, that would probably be required in terms of the, to finance the project. Could be, you know, you, ideally you'd like to have 
uh, a lot of it done with more of it done with debt and don't you know try not to dilute your shareholders but you you know probably something something debt probably somewhere between 40 and 60 percent and equity probably somewhere you know offset that so you might see something like 60 percent debt 40 percent equity in terms of the, to finance this project although there's a lot of things that can be done moving forward and it, it, it part of it is how we how well we de-risk the project what's going to happen with with metal prices uh, over time, et cetera, and how we get our permits and 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 put all that in place, it, it kind of helps you there. I can tell you some of the things that uh, you know we 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 don't want to try to do. I mean, I mentioned about the expirations, you know, the upside on this project, the the, the future, the, the optionality in the future with 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 higher metal prices and 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 a large resource that that's currently there, plus the expiration upside. One thing that we really have to be cautious of is is whether we whether we dilute base with any royalty from on a royalty side or from a from a streaming side. You know we have to be very cautious because we don't want to give all the all the future value away for for nothing in, in today's market. So those are things we we we're going to try to stay away from as much as possible. Focus on on working with some you know good financial institutions and 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 debt you know, the large large banks and look look at how we can do it from a project debt point of view and how we can do it to advance that way one of the when, when we look at going from phase one to phase two where we finance the project at the matter of fact the payback period on this project already is sitting around five years so even in in terms of the, the amount of debt that you'd put on the balance sheet it, and, and the duration of that you know the paybacks fairly quickly in terms of being able to 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 eliminate the debt or take you know maybe you're going to have some high yield debt in in the in the first phase but within within the five years after the project is built you should be able to to, to the company be very very strong in terms of uh, the balance sheet and again you know at, at, as long as silver prices stay stay where 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 they are currently or as, as they are in in a pre-feasibility study if you get higher silver prices then it's only going to be even better in terms of how you how you finance this and how you pay off the project. One of the things I mean, I, I talk to people about, you know, the rules that I like to do in terms of, of as, as we advance the project and how, how we finance the project. I go back to, again, some fun things I remember talking to my father about and things that I've used in my past experience, whether we're at past companies and you know, notice that uh, even within Kirkland Lake Gold, we had no debt. Is the, the simple rules of debt is you only we're only going to borrow as much money as we need for what we need it for. Number one, number two, we're only going to use the debt for what we raised it for. So we only want if we're going to raise the debt to, to build a project, we're only going to spend the money on building the project, not anything else. And then as soon as you third rule of debt is as soon as you get the chance to pay it back, pay it back. So hopefully there's some various vehicles that can be used there, and maybe even with some of these metals coming out of here, the zinc lead side, maybe there's opportunity for offtake as well instead of a a typical stream royalty arrangement, but maybe offtake uh, is an option there as well. So how that's the point. There's yeah. some other companies in the region that have used offtake providers as, as as a way to help finance, uh, you know, and and you still get market conditions for for your product, right? For for the content. I mean, <clears throat> excuse me. The the one thing about this Cordero project, by the way, that the zinc concentrate from this project is 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 is, is going to be about you know is definitely the you know a very a quality product and silver reports to the lead con so again you know in terms of of uh, of having offtake agreements this 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 is a project that you know i think we're going to be able to have a lot of alternatives and how we want where we're going to do it from an offtake point of view yeah we'll come back to a few things on that uh, topic in just a moment but uh, and i appreciate you taking the time here Tony, as you well know, the jurisdictional risk is obviously quite fluid around the world today, and it can change often like the wind. But how comfortable are you in Mexico, and what do you think really de-risks the jurisdiction? And I would suggest maybe things like strong government relations as part of that work to make sure that uh, everything from a jurisdictional standpoint is taken care of. First, uh, you know, you're hit it on. You know, it, it's very important that you know, uh, from a uh, you know, maintain government relations, maintain a really good standing and social acceptance in the communities of where we are and the people that work for us, plus our suppliers and and in the region. So, you know, as as I mentioned earlier, we want to you know want to build a, a a strong team, continue to build a strong team, and 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 the center of our center of our business and our decision making to be down in Mexico, uh, you know, for for a number of reasons. You know, we recognize, and we have we have built up a team in terms of government relations and people understanding sustainability. What we what we need to do in terms of understanding the permitting, 
uh, understanding the, uh, the the political climate and what, what you know what the needs are in the region. I know there's been a lot of discussion in, in, uh, recently about some proposed changes in the mining laws in in Mexico. Uh, you know, I look at these and, and, you know, having built and operated mines in Canada, United States and Australia and down in Peru, I mean, you know, and a lot of, lot of this of what they we're bringing into play is really just maybe catching up to the other jurisdictions that we work in. So it's, it's not like it's, it's bad stuff. It's just, it's just different in terms of what maybe been people been used to down there. You know, what I've learned is whether we build a mine in Peru or we build a mine in the United States or or, or Ontario, etc. We've always used the rule that we we use the standards, the highest set of standards of any jurisdiction that we we work in, regardless of where we are. So, from a permitting point of view, and in terms of some of the so the requirements coming down in Mexico, I I don't see any any major um, roadblocks to that. I think it's just it, it's just us being learning learning what they are and and being able to 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 you know get clear clear definition and then address those issues. We're already trying to build that in terms of our Water use in terms of our in terms of land use and, and dealing with local communities and local people in in the area, it's already front and center in terms of what we how we were looking at to advance the project. There's a lot of concern in Mexico with this on the on the security risks, etc., and and dealing with with that type of that type of activity in the region. When you go here and you look at where the project is and you look at the the, the people, I mean, there's a lot of good, hardworking, honest people in in these regions. I think uh, what we do by bringing in these good, uh, you know, paying jobs, we have good standards in terms of, of how we work and what our practices are. I think we have a chance to be very, very successful here and really create an alternative for people that, you know, you can, you can come and, and work at Cordero and, and be very successful in terms of, of you know, set, setting up your roots in, the, in this region. So there's always risks in, in every jurisdiction but in understanding permitting understanding government relations understanding how you do business there i think that the biggest thing that that i've learned uh, over the years is that the local people in these regions they, they live there and the worst thing we do is we try to come come into these regions and tell them no no we know better i think you you just come in and you work with the people here and you, and, you know the, the standards are high the ethics are high the work practice is exceptional Right uh, and quality of, of work and, and and housekeeping and cleanliness and detail attention to detail that I see there is second to, to no area. This is not a third world tier three jurisdiction or at all. Uh, and so you know I, I look at that as uh, there's there's a lot of benefit here that uh, that we can we can we can continue to build in terms of this region in terms of building this project. Yeah, absolutely agreed with that. And definitely, I think you and I agree a lot on jurisdiction and what is considered a tier one jurisdiction. And certainly in a lot of ways, Mexico is considered tier one. And, and you'd actually look at uh, other places, advanced economies, if you will, or late stage economies, if you will. Tony is really moving out of tier one and moving into tier two potentially here. But that's a, a separate conversation. I'm sure we could have another time. Sorry, just before that, actually, some of the benefits of, of this project. I, you know, when we talk about it, I mean, the, the project sits about two and a half hour drive from the from the town of Chihuahua, city of Chihuahua, which is a city of over almost a million people. You're using a, a four lane highway to access the, to, to the project. It sits about a 15, 20 minute drive uh, the north from the, the, the city of Peral, which is a city of over 120,000 people mining. So you got access to people, you got mining schools, you got you got roads, uh, you know, you got power, you got water system, every, everything's in the region. It's not like we're going into some some uh, isolated place in, in, in the middle of nowhere to build this uh, project. It's actually in a basically a built up area with access to, you don't even have to bring, you can have a local workforce, right? So, Tony, just briefly, and I know you already covered some of it on the last uh, discussion here, but uh, talk about a little more detail about community work that the company is doing now. And if you can, maybe just foreshadow a bit for us on what new work the company is being considered when the company moves from obviously the cash consuming state that it's in now to a cash flowing state in the future. Okay. Well, I mean, I mean, you know, fundamental is, uh, you know, in terms of what we're doing in, in, in the community, in the region, I mean, we're doing a lot of things to try to support, I mean, but support combination, support our employees as well as support, and a community and, and quality of, of life for people. We mean, we've been supporting local medical facilities. There's been a lot of work done during COVID, you know, and I think there, there was a lot of work there. Plus, you know, supporting whether it's, uh, you know, so try to try to help in certain areas such as, 
homelessness in terms of helping areas in, t- in terms of you know food security but provide, providing things for people uh, definitely medical coverage care uh, whether it whether for uh, you know underprivileged people whether for elderly people so we've been we've been focused on a lot a lot of these areas and as we go forward i mean i think it's been the history you know definitely what 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 i've done and how how we work i mean our main areas we recognize that that these mines and when you, when you talk about what we're going to what we do re, what we continue do in the region as we get the mines built and 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 operate here again uh, you know we want to we want to create we want to attract uh, uh, people we want to be able to protect and retain retain people both in the region and new, new people to come to the region to live what do you have to do to do that well you have to create a you know, you have support the community and support the communities again with the, some of the simple area, the areas such as medical and healthcare support in terms of, uh, of recreation activities for for people. Support, you know, when we talk about uh, homelessness and you know, definitely one of the a global a big global problem in mental health and and uh, areas of uh, drug addiction. What we can do to, to support that and help that and, and home and how that affects homelessness and how that affects people. Focus on care, uh, say for you know elderly people or or disadvantaged people. Um, when I talk about all these things, again, you're there to support to your employees and and the people that that work for us. And within within our employee group, there could be a lot of people from all kinds of all different facets of society. And by, by providing this type of support, uh, we not only do we do we attract and retain people, but we have a we have a very motivated and a stable workforce and people that'll that'll see the benefit and. Again, I mentioned earlier when we were talking, you know, I'm a child in the industry, but what you really like to do is you'd like to be a, a mining company that, that communities will call you up and say, hey, do you, can you build a mine beside us? Because you know that by, by what we're going to do is build and bring prosperity and, and bring, improve the standard of living and the, and the quality of life for people in the region. Those are the things that we're going to continue to support. And that's, that's, those are the things I think that, that our industry needs to get more recognition for what we do. Well said, Tony, and definitely the health of the local community is very important, the health of the society. And of course, uh, you know, we're a guest in the country and, uh, you know, that's always important to remember as well. Yeah, actually, the one thing I did forget to mention, too, we are, we are building, you mentioned building a multi-generational mine, right? Yeah, we already got, say, 18-year mine life, but I, I think this thing will be here for much longer than that. So the other area is in terms of education and training and development of people, right? And 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 yeah. people from not only from people from from laborers and truck drivers and mechanics and tradespeople, accountants, etc., but you know the next set of managers and the and, and the next set of uh, of people that can that can even run this company or other companies and continue to 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 grow grow the industry. So you know, definitely investment in in, in youth youth education and training and development of people is something that's going to be very important for us as well. Yes. Absolutely. Very, very critical and much needed in the industry, as you and I discussed uh, prior. Last thing on the project, Tony, you know everything there is to know about the the technical aspects of this project, um, the jurisdictional aspects, the community aspects, the financing side. What's the single biggest challenge that you see? The single biggest challenge? The one thing is, I mean, perception of the project. And I mean, that's, that's part of what we're working towards in terms of, of improving that perception. We're a, we're a company with a $400 million Canadian market cap that we're going to complete a feasibility study and demonstrate that to, to, to investment community that we need to raise, you know, between 450 and 500 million US dollars to build the project. So that's the, that's the, the, the biggest challenge we face uh, in terms of getting that and headwinds against that, you know, when, whether it's the, you know, the perception of, of the, of the jurisdictional risk, uh, you know, there's 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 uh, permitting risks, etc. But I think though that that's that's the, the the main area that that we you know we have to recognize that we we got we got this financial requirements and how we de- we're dealing with that is that's where I mentioned we're completing a feasibility study that that's an executable feasibility study that'll include you know address all the areas of from a social license point of view whether it's water management whether it's people management whether it's uh, whether it's uh, environment standards, etc., address areas of financial risk. Whether you know, demonstrate you know, dem- demonstrate how we want to carry out the project. Uh, very th- the thoroughness in terms of a, of, of the estimates on, on the work we're going to do. So, and demonstrate a, a whole management system around 
around executing on the project and understanding what, that, what the scope is here and that we're not going to have scope creep or capital cost creep on building the project and also demonstrate the operating plan and that, you know, the investors or people can look and say, this, this is definitely a project that, you know, you can take a risk on and you're going to see return. Again, the, the company's currently trading somewhere around 0.25, 0.3 of the value of this project. There's got to be a lot of upside as we go over the next few years and get this project built. That's going to be very important to do so we, we, we can demonstrate, you know, make, make this a project that if, if people have to take risk in terms of, of investing in, let's say this, this is a project that you, you tie your sales to. And then, you know, I think what we, we do over time is uh, we, we got to continue to demonstrate them. I think there's a lot of other exploration, other, other success and new value creation that can come from, from this project. And, as we secure land, land and water, et cetera, and de-risk the project and, and come up with f- continued exploration success and really grow this re- the, the resource, potential resource here, or even come up with new discoveries. I think these are these are all things that are gonna, gonna help in terms of moving the project forward and, uh, and get that. But yeah, the biggest risk is, is we have to get this thing financed. Tony, it is clear that you wanna build discovery into a mining business that is operating and sustainable. If this is achieved over the next few years, what next? Will it go and build other projects? Will it seek M&A? What will be the plan? What will be the exit? What do you have to say on this piece of it? Because I think that's going to be important as to what your goals are with this company, because this project is one heck of a cornerstone and a platform. Exactly. I mean, this this project here can be could become a cornerstone asset for building the next next great silver company, right? It would be a cornerstone app. It would transform any any of the you know a lot of the peers in the in the silver space, a lot of a lot of current producers in, in the silver space, and it would it could have definitely be a project that can it can help in terms of uh, of uh, building the next the next great company. And I think I think that's that's the thing you want to do. And you know part of what we what we have here is we have this unique project. And then as we go forward, we want to make sure that we don't dilute the value of this project by trying to do other things, right? I, I see this as being the opportunity to create a new silver companies in the silver space. So. Well, Tony, let's leave it there for now. Appreciate you taking the time. For potential investors who are listening in, Discovery Silver has a market capitalization of about $400 million Canadian dollars. Why should the company be considered within the institutional family office and retail investors portfolio? You know why? Again, you know, I, I, you know, the, you you have one of the largest undeveloped silver deposits by reserves globally. Uh, it's in it's in the right jurisdiction. Uh, it's got a, a very good team of people. And when you look at current valuation and, and in terms of where the project can, you know, where, where the value of the company can be from an investment point of view, it's lots of opportunity for this to to double or triple. It's a, so it's a good entry point into into a project with a with a, with a good management team and a, access to capital, etc., to get this thing built. You can you can take a view of what you think about the silver market, and there's significant optionality on this project. Not only is it is a good project under current metal prices, but there's significant optionality in the future as if you believe in the silver market, which we do, and and, and that there's growth in in the silver space and zinc and lead in terms of what value uh, the price of these commodities are going to grow over time. And then uh, you know we have the expiration upside on the on this. So I think uh, from an investor point of view, you're you're entering into a company or into a project. At an early stage, it's one of these unique opportunities, and there's lots of opportunity for growth and value as as we advance the project and get that value that we see here, get the market and the street to understand what that value is. Thank you for that. And Tony, the best way for interested parties to reach out to the company? Well, I think you can you know, reach out to Forbes Gemmel, Forbes.Gemmel at discoverysilver.com. Uh, I'm happy to uh, to respond to any, any emails, or any inquiries, uh, et cetera. So. Tony, we appreciate you taking the time. Keep up the work, and uh, we'll be back in touch soon. Thank you. Okay, thank you, Andrew. Take care.